At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. There's not many people you'll find in this industry that wear the jackets that John Pastorella wears. HVAC tech and chemist. It's pretty unique. We're going to get into a conversation with John regarding his life as a as a chemist and how he transitioned into HVAC and how he transitioned into creating products for the HVAC field. He put his two professions together and he's created some really, really kick-ass products to help us in the field. We're going to talk about Big Blue. We're going to talk about Nylog. We're going to talk about Wet Rag. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, but I mean, we only got so much time in a day, right? And we're all busy. We're all busy people. John's busy. I'm busy. So we spent a uh, good part of an hour talking about Big Blue, Nylog, and Wet Rag, three of, of my favorite products that Refrigeration Technologies manufactures. So we get into this conversation. We had a little bit of technical difficulties, but we're up and running. I'm down in my little booth playing back all this all this recording it, it sounds good it sounds a hell of a lot better than how i was doing it before in my truck with the gaming headset on using a third-party app to record phone calls and then plugging it in the anchor app and, and hearing all the distortion and clicks and sounds way better i'm very very happy with this setup and i'm very excited at what this podcast is going to do and where this podcast is going to go from this point on so anyway guys john's coming up this is the hvac know-it-all podcast i'm your host gary mccready as an hvac tech we should be carrying around a temperature and humidity meter with us at all times it's going to help us troubleshoot many different things now i'm on the true tech tools website and i'm looking at the amp probe THWD-10 relative humidity and temperature meter. It looks very compact. Wet bulb, dry bulb, dew point measurements, relative humidity, temperature, all that great stuff. So guys, you can save 8% on that. It's on sale right now for 140 bucks. So you can save additional 8% with promo code know it all. And guys, if you want to save on Testo stuff, the preferred pricing link for Testo is always in the podcast summary, but you could also find it um, underneath my YouTube videos, my more recent ones, you can find that link there. If you guys don't want to bug me for it, that's where you can find it. And you can also find it in the podcast notes. It's funny because I actually forgot about the tightness test. Um, that Testo has in their digital gauges. And I used it this week and I posted pictures of it. I even posted a little video and I actually 
described it wrong the first time and had to pull that video down because it's, <laughs> it had been so long since I used it and I actually forgot how to use that feature. So let me explain to you because it's it's very cool actually. What you do is you set it to the tightness test feature and it's got like a, a delta P like pressure differential between the start um, of the test. So when you add um, nitrogen, let's say you add 200 PSI nitrogen, you start the timer and it times and it shows you how much gas um, you've lost, how much nitrogen you've lost in, by way of pressure. So it shows you the drop, it shows you the actual amount in the system, shows you where you started and up above that it shows you the delta P. So over time, you know how fast that system is leaking. Very, very cool feature. I actually used it um, to prove a leak and then to prove that the leak was fixed this week. Very, very simple as well. It's not hard to use. So I forgot about it, but I used it again this week and I just want to give you guys a reminder and if you haven't used it or if you don't know that it's within the gauge set, the digital gauge manifold, it's in there to use and it's, it's always available um, online for the instructions. You can read it in the instructions online to figure out how to do it. So check that stuff out. Very, very cool. I just wanted to mention, I've been playing around with the, the NAVAC 2CFM battery-powered pump, and I love it. It's built like a tank. Okay, for that, that small little pump, it's really, really built well. There are people asking about the battery life. Now, the battery life is with, within an hour, okay? But it says right in the instructions, and you guys need to be aware of this, that it may take a little bit of time, um, some uses before you get the full capacity of the battery. Because somebody said, oh, I didn't get an hour out of the battery. I only got this much. Well, I said it, it says right there um, in one of the pages of the manual when, when you buy that pump that you, it may take a few uses. But here's the thing. If you use that pump in the right application with the right size hoses, you're not going to need an hour. Somebody on HVAC Hub, actually, I can't remember who it was, and I'm sorry um, if you're listening, but they said they get three um, systems done out of one charge. Now, I have to presume that those are three small residential units. That's what I'm going to presume. I might be wrong, but I'm just going to go by my experience on how fast evacuations are on, on those type of systems. So they get three systems out of one charge. It's a really, really cool pump. It's going to change the industry big time, but you got to pull with large hoses. You can't pull with quarter-inch hoses. You got to pull with large hoses. That's the difference. So today... Actually, you know what? I am sore as fuck. <laughs> I'm not kidding because today I was at my parents' new home. They bought a new home and they bought a gas, a gas range and I was running a gas line. So I had to tie in to the existing um, line. I ran copper, about 30 to 40 feet of copper up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder, up and down the stairs. Um, and I was dead. I'm not used to that type of work environment. I'm used to like um, service. You know what I mean? Troubleshooting where you're kind of standing in one spot. And, and I'm not like, I'm a pretty fit person, <laughs> but I'm telling you today was rough and I'm feeling it anyway. So what I was doing 
what how I was making the flares is with um, the yellow jacket lightweight electric slash manual flaring tool. Now you, it's manual because you can use your hand, but it's also got a, a bit that you can attach a drill to and do it quicker. So you're not getting that um, wear and tear on your wrist. It's got a slider on it that helps you position the pipe properly in the block. And then as you're tightening down on the flare, the yoke snaps when you're done. So you don't over uh, overdo your flare. So it snaps and you pull it off and it's a perfect flare, 100%. Um, I made a little video. It was kind of dark in the basement, but I might just put it up just to show um, how well the flare was because the... The flare shows really, really well in the video. So that is uh, Yellow Jacket's lightweight electric manual flaring tool. Very, very cool tool. So refrigeration technologies, I mean, this whole podcast is about them. So you heard all the magic. You heard all the stuff about Nylog. You heard about Big Blue and Viper Wet Rags. So um, awesome stuff. Continue to use those guys if you are. And if you haven't, check them out pick them up and try them out. You won't be um, disappointed. So something else that I did this week that was very cool. I had a rub through on a capillary line. And some people make fun of me because I say capillary and not capillary. Well, up in Canada, I haven't heard anybody say capillary. Everybody says capillary. So tomato, tomato, whatever. So I had a rub through on a cap line for a water reg valve. And it's an enclosed room. It's a server room environment. It's a sealed room, all right, to keep the humidity in or out, whichever you want to you want to uh, address it as. So I don't want to light a torch, and it's hard. It's hard to fix that type of repair with a torch anyway on a on a very small cap line with a torch. There's ways to do it. Like if you cut out the rub through, you put a piece of like three eighths in between and you pinch it down, that'll work. I've done that before. But what I wanted to do was give Smart Seal External another run. Okay, so I cut off a piece of it. I fit it around the rub, okay, where it was leaking. It cured within about an hour. I just turned the unit back on, airflow flowing by it. I checked on it and it was hard as a rock, but I just kind of let it sit for another hour. Um, while I was doing my maintenance, came back, charged it. I only had a little bit of nitrogen left in my tank, so I was only up to like 290 or something PSI. No bubbles, it held. Um, charged it up, and I went at it with my my leak detector. I put out some a series of like five videos on Instagram on the process of it. And it's supposed to last up to 12 to 15 years. If the customer wants to go ahead and replace the reg valve, then we'll do that. But it's a high-pressure reg valve. It's not... It's not cheap and it's not just available at the supp- supplier. You got to order it in. Okay, so if the customer wants to replace it, we will 100%. But until then, that's on there. If they don't replace it, they say, no, yeah, we don't want to spend the money, then it's a great longevity test for that product. So I was really happy with the way it went. So ending this segment off, guys, please. If you're a business owner and if you want to step up your game to paperless billing, invoicing, um, fleet management and all that, House Call Pro, we have a new relationship. I have a link. It's a landing page. It's 
housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know it all. So when you land on that page, um, you can read all the information and there's a 14 day free. I, I actually, I don't know if it's 14 day free trial, but it's, 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 there's a free trial. I'm thinking of field pulse, but <laughs> this is house call pro. Um, it's a free trial. And then with the first month, if you go through the landing page, you get um, a reduced first, first month cost with that landing page. So check that stuff out, guys. Awesome. Hey, John, how you doing tonight? I'm doing real good, Gary. Glad uh, to be on. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I guess we went through a li little bit of some technical difficulties there, but um, <laughs> we got them, we got them figured out. And to be honest, this this whole new setup that I've put together uh, with my laptop and the mixer and all that kind of stuff and the microphone, you're the first one I'm interviewing this way. So I guess you're you're a little bit of a guinea pig for me right now. <laughs> yeah, too bad we couldn't debug it. Yeah, that's that's okay. This this setup that we've uh, that we figured out is is working really well. So I'm gonna let you kind of explain how you got into being involved in in um, in what you're doing now. And I, I know you have a, a pretty cool story because you you are um, you're very unique in this industry because I don't want to reveal too much, uh, and I want to let you tell the story, but. You're an HVAC tech and you're a chemist and you've put those two roles together to make some very unique products that help out the industry. So I got to thank you for that on behalf of myself and, and all the techs out there. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah. Not not a problem. So yeah. I'll, I'll let you take it from there and, and give us a bit of your background. Well, I started out as a bench chemist while I was uh, trying to finish college, uh, you know, I worked uh, full-time, basically, and went to school part-time, uh, just finishing up my degree. And, uh, you know, I worked in a lab, and working in a lab was really boring. It was just like working on a factory assembly line. Uh, you did the same thing over and over every day. So... Uh, first lab job I had was with, with a medical lab, and you know I show up at work and I work swing shift, uh, three to twelve, and pretty much went to school during the day. But you know I'd be greeted by about two to three hundred urines that I'd have to analyze, and do some other low end jobs in the lab because I was you know new, the new guy and. You didn't spill it. You didn't spill any of that urine on you, did you? <laughs> no, you know, you know, we no one in the lab back then wore gloves. Oh, nice. Or yeah, and we worked with blood and we worked with urine and you know, no one no one wore gloves. It was just you know, you get something on you, you just go wash it off, you know, nice. it's no big deal. But um, you know, that was really boring and uh, I had an opportunity uh, the lab kind of was uh, going under, and the writing was on the wall. And you know, that's one of the first guys they let go. But um, you know, I just saw this ad in the newspaper, and it said they were hiring air conditioning installers and repair technicians 
no experience necessary. And uh, they were touting a pretty nice salary, about double of what I was making in a lab. So, you know, I, I applied for the job and I, I got the job and they put me on an installation crew. And I just thought this was going to be temporary until, uh, you know, I found another lab uh, position somewhere. And, uh, but I got out there on the job and worked with the installers and learned, you know, how to cut holes in roofs and run duct work and run line sets. And I kind of enjoyed it because, you know, every day we were doing something different and, you know, we were out there and fresh air. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah, you got sweaty. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, exhausting work but you know i kind of enjoyed it it kind of got my endorphins going every day how old were you when you you made the switch over the reason i ask is i I get a lot of messages from people in their uh, late 20s early 30s asking me if it's too late for them to switch over no i was i was young i was 22 okay all right and yeah yeah and i was um being an air conditioning guy was not on my radar ever. I was always science minded and I was going to be the guy in the lab coat working, you know, on something phenomenal, scientific research or whatever. And, uh, I just saw that, you know, that was kind of a dead end. Let me cut the computer here. Anyway, uh, you know, I was kind of fascinated by, these machines that made cold air. And, you know, I always was just so intrigued that I wanted to learn more and more about them. And, 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 uh, uh, I worked as an installer maybe three or four months and they called me in one day and said, Hey, college kid, uh, we need service techs. So they sent me to Phoenix to another branch, uh, location they had, and I went to uh, work for them as a service tech, basically going to like a classroom setting in the morning and then uh, jumping in a service truck in the afternoon and going with a, like a journeyman and pretty much being his gopher, but learning uh, how to do repairs, do diagnostics and repairs while I was still learning the mechanics and the science of uh, refrigeration. So that's how it all started. Uh, they sent me back to Southern California to be um, a repair guy, a service tech, and that was going to pay big money. I mean, I was envisioning driving a Corvette because that's the type of money they were going to be paying me. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, you know, they stuck me back on an installation crew, so I didn't like that. Finally bounced around to another service company and then another service company because here in Southern California, when winter hits, there's no work for air conditioning or refrigeration mechanics. So, you know, I just started picking up customers and started picking up work here and there. And before I knew it, you know, I was had my own refrigeration business going. Nice. So, yeah, and I was a contractor for 17 years, and uh, I, you know, 
leaks were always tough. And the type of tools we used back then, in this early 70s, was, you know, halide torch, bubbles, and, you know, finally, uh, Rubinair came out with an electronic. And, you know, I just noticed that I would be hitting on leaks with the electronic, but try and confirm it with bubbles or even this halide torch. Um, I get nothing. I just talked about so, a, a halide torch, actually. So, sorry to cut you off. What, what do you think about, yeah. uh, what do you think, did you ever, ha ever have any luck with the Halide? Because I've, I'd never really had much luck and I never liked using it just because of the, the phosgen gas it created, but it was your only option in some cases to use that thing. Yeah, it's the problem with the halide torch, it's slow and you look for the color change in the flame. Yeah. And it was slow, very, very slow to react. And let's say if you had a fitting leak, Leaking, you put the little tube up uh, that siphoned the gas to the flame, and you know you'd have to keep it there for a good, you know, almost a whole minute, which is a long time, <laughs> actually. And then you finally can confirm a leak. But uh, the bubbles are what intrigued me because I couldn't understand why, you know, these bubbles that you're paying a lot of money for and they all came in a little dauber bottle and you know uh, it cost like four or five six bucks for next to nothing in amount of fluid and they didn't work and you know i decided well i was gonna see if i can apply some of my chemistry and and um make my own bubble solutions for my own personal use and, you know, I worked in my kitchen every night after I got off work and I'd make up some solutions and I'd take them out in the field and I'd test them and see how they worked. And I'd go back to patent office. I'd go to universities and I researched leak detectors. I researched uh, bubble leak detectors and, and just uh, foaming compounds, high foaming compounds and all the science. Uh, related to what it takes to create a bubble and create lots of bubbles, create big bubbles. And there was a lot of, you know, information out there. Uh, and I started applying some of that chemistry, got the feel of where that chemistry was going. And uh, must have been at least over a year I worked on them and I came up with a few solutions I thought were uh, pretty nifty. Um, and so I, started handing out some of the solution to some of my uh, service tech buddies. And, you know, at first they kind of laughed at me. They said, oh, you're just, you're just uh, getting kitty soap bubbles and, and putting it in a spray bottle. <laughs> and uh, uh, are you trying to sell it, John? I said, no, no, no. I just, I just want you to try. It's what I came up with and, you know, just give it a try. And my technician friends would come back and say, you know what, John? I think you're onto something. We're finding leaks now that we haven't been able to find and verify before. And, you know, they said, you know, we'll help you sell it. We'll help you sell it. And, uh, you know, it, that's how it pretty much started. And I came up with a product, uh, got some marketing help from my old Little League baseball coach who was a guy that sold septic chemicals for septic uh, tanks and stuff and helped 
me put together some literature, helped me design the label, and uh, I pretty much hawked everything I had to go get a booth at Ashray and a little 10 by 10 booth where I set up and showed, compared my leak detector against uh, all the other competitive dollar type leak detectors out there. And uh, we were drawing big crowds because, you know, here's this guy making bubbles on a leak. And I mean, not just bubbles, I mean, really, really massive uh, volumes of bubbles on leaks. And, you know, it was very impressive. And that's how the company got its start. Picked up reps throughout the country that were willing to sell it. And, and so the story goes. And now I'm told I'm the uh, largest selling leak detector in the industry worldwide. That is that is awesome. And it's not a surprise because... Um... It, it works really, really well, especially for the little micro leaks. Like I, I remember last summer, I, I sprayed it on the, the tiniest. I, I saw oil around um, a discharge line. I think it was a discharge line. It's 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 going back quite a ways now. But I sprayed it on there, and I couldn't see anything. So I, I wiped it clean, and I'm like, "There's there's definitely a leak here because I see the oil dripping down the compressor, and it was dried up." So I sprayed it again, and I kind of just waited a little bit longer waited 10 15 minutes and i looked again and you could see like the tiniest little micro bubbles pop 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 and i took a picture of it and i zoomed in really really close and i actually posted it online and i had to draw an arrow to it because it was so hard to see where the bubbles were actually coming from but it revealed the leak and, and it and it did it and, and it took and, and i've talked to mike about this um your, your son mike Yes. About about having to wait that 10, 15 minutes to let the soap penetrate in for those micro bubbles to to reveal themselves. And, and a lot of techs, they get impatient. They don't wait for that time, right? Oh, yes. Um, all, all your misdiagnoses out there are due to impatience. Um, a, a good service technician must have patience in doing any type of diagnostic work. And if you're looking for a really, really small leak, the reason it takes time is because there's just not a lot of gas coming out of that tiny, tiny, tiny little hole. And it takes minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes for something to develop. We call it a foam cocoon to finally build to where it's actually visible with your eyes. And when I started experimenting with formulating bubble solutions, I used to get magnifying glass, even a dissecting microscope, just to see how well, um, how the gas was interacting with the fluid and see what was happening down there on a microscopic level. Uh, Help me, you know, refine the formulation and really get a formulation that uh, can pull up those tiniest of leaks. I love I love the science behind this stuff. It's it's crazy, and, and and a lot of people don't really appreciate the fact that there's a lot of science that goes into soap bubbles, especially the the, the ones that you're creating for the micro leaks. And I know you sent me an email months and months back talking kind of about the science behind a bubble. And and I remember something about 
I don't remember the, the exact terminology used, but something about how the bubble pops through the other bubbles. Is there a name for that? Or something like about it. Uh, was it tension or something like that? Bubble tension. <clears throat> well, making bubbles is all about having the correct surface tension. That's right. Surface and, tension. That's, that was the term. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you lower the temp surface temperature, the surface tension of a fluid, it'll make a bubble at some certain point. And then if you keep lowering the surface tension, the bubble will not sustain. So you have to hit a range where that surface tension needs to be. And this surface tension is just a number. The surface tension of water, let's say, is 70. The surface tension of uh, rubbing alcohol is 15. So water doesn't produce a bubble. Alcohol won't produce a bubble but because it's too low and the water is too high. But there's a sweet spot in there where if you get the correct surface tension, boom, you get bubbles. That's cool. Very cool. So how long did it take you to perfect the four, or do you consider it perfected now? And, and how long did it take you to, to get to that point where you're, where you're at now? Oh, I, I continually play with the uh, uh, bubble solutions. I, I've had since 87 when it came out, I probably made 15 different um, upgrades to it. Yeah. And the last upgrade was in January of 2018. And I really, really like the output. It's all about not only pulling up microleaks, but getting the maximum amount of bubble output that can be done so you can actually see it. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, because bubble leak detection or any type of leak detection is all about observation, looking for it and learning to distinguish between a bubble that was created because you sprayed on it, sprayed too hard or a bubble that was created that is actually capturing gas. So, you know, and that's where a good technician after they've done enough bubble leak detecting, we'll be able to distinguish between the two. Yes, that's And right. I always tell people, apply the bubble solution as a flat liquid free of bubbles. Mm-hmm, yep. And don't, don't spray it where you get all kinds of foam on your fitting. You want a clear, flat liquid free of bubbles. And then if you start seeing a little bit of foam starting or a bubble emit, you know, you got a leak there. I, I actually apply it. I, I use the, uh, the trigger very, very slow. Like I, I pull the trigger very, very slow. So it almost comes out as a, a stream instead of a spray. And then I just kind of use, use my finger to make sure it, it's fully around the entire joint. And then I make sure there's no bubbles once it's, it's covered the joint. And then if I wait, then if a bubble appears, I know it's not a bubble that just appeared because I sprayed it on, like and created that bubble. It appeared because there's actually a, a leak there. Exactly. There's just a nice, you know, there's a technique to it. And 
if you do do the technique right, you're going to be successful at uh, leak detection. And, you know, uh, I usually like to scan an area first with an electronic. And I have a leak detection manual online for free that shows you how to use your electronic to scan certain areas and then going in and pinpointing with bubbles. Where where can and, they where but, can where can we find that that um that little uh, tutorial? It, it's yeah, just go to our website, refrigetech.com and look at information. There's our my leak detection manual. I've had it. I wrote it back in the early '90s. It's been republished in several textbooks, and it's taught at Fair State. My particular method, of course, instructors put their own little twist onto it. But it's the only comprehensive leak detection manual that exists, and uh, you know, it's was took a long time for me to uh, put together and collate and just go through my mind as am I leaving something out? And uh, uh, I just finally got it all down in paper and organized everything. Uh, and you go there, read it. You're going to learn some uh, quick tips. You're going to learn some shortcuts. And I guarantee you, you're going to be better equipped mentally to find leaks once reading the manual it's going to make a lot of sense to you yeah no that, that's good man so uh, if we go to refrigetech.com we can all check that out because um there, there is a technique to leak checking you don't just fly in there and start spraying like a madman and <laughs> and then and then trying to figure out where it is there's i it's very methodical in my mind anyway is, is to, to, to finding a leak and i i guess the good thing for you guys is that, and I don't know what it is these days with the manufacturers and all their, and all their, their leaking units, but it seems that units are leaking all over the place these days, brand new, one years old, two years old. Um, so, so that's going to help you guys with, with the bubble sales, I guess, <laughs> because these manufacturers can't produce a, a non-leaky unit these days. That seems to be the case. Yeah. Um, big time. You know, when I, when I was doing, um, refrigeration, 70s, 80s, um, evaporator coils were much more, I don't want to say, they were less susceptible to leaks than high sides of system. And, you know, you got people that make sloppy welds here and there, even manufacturers do that, but it was very uncommon to find evaporator leaks. most everything was on high side or liquid line. And nowadays, I think it's kind of flipped where most of your leaks are evaporator side, low yeah. side. Yeah, it, it appears you that know? way. And, and I think that the, um, the thickness of the copper that they're using, or maybe even the quality of the copper is contributing to that. And, and maybe even because it's so thin or poor quality, the household chemicals in the air are probably contributing to eating away at that, that copper and causing that uh, formicary on there. Yeah. You know, I, I've looked into the science of the formicary and, you know, the chemistry is correct and everything, but in a kind of, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, this is some way for a manufacturer to get around replacing 
a warranty coil by blaming it on Chinese drywall when it was probably was a badly soldered fitting in the first place or mm-hmm. uh, a badly thin packed uh, coil tube, you know, where, you know, they're causing defects in the tubing and whatever. And they just blame it on this formicary corrosion. And, <laughs> and see, yeah, we can't warranty that coil for you. Sorry, buddy. I don't know. How much drywall do we get from China? Drywall doesn't seem to be very expensive to where we have to import it from China. Yeah. I mean, it just seems ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, the, the the amount of you're right though. The amount of uh, in in the land of commercial where I'm kind of working in, I don't really find a lot of leaking evaporator coils. To be honest with you, I, I really don't. Um, where I find leaks the most is, I would say, where the discharge line tees off and enters the condenser. I find a lot of leaks at at those points, and um, and, and be where where the where the actual the where that the header of the discharge line comes up and then it maybe tees off two or three times into the uh the condenser coil and then um <laughs> are you you pouring a drink of water you're not peeing are you <laughs> i just heard some liquid no <laughs> i'm sucking down some coffee oh that, that that's okay that's okay. Sometimes I some I have conversations while I'm peeing with my wife, and she gets really upset with me. She. <laughs> oh well, you know, I, I I still carry a bottle on the car. You know, you never know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the the leaks that I find, they like I was saying, the the tee off from the discharge line into the condenser coil, and where where the line actually goes through, I guess we call it the tube sheet, kind of where the uh, the end bends kind of go through the um, that that plate just before the, the fins. I find a lot of leaks there just from vibration and, and whatnot. Yeah. They're vibration leaks for sure. Yeah. 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 Vibration or high pressure leakage, uh, from high, uh, discharge pressures in heat vibration all contribute to leak. So we've talked about the, the soap bubbles and, um, and I think it's, it's well known that, we can find many, many leaks with, with big blue soap bubbles and, and the color is phenomenal, by the way. I, I love the, I love that dark blue color. <clears throat> um, but I, I do want to talk about Nylog because that's another product that's very unique to the industry. And I don't know if, I don't know if, if you pay attention to what goes online on Facebook and Instagram, but the, the term that a lot of people, a lot of techs use for it is like the Frank's red hot term. I put that shit on everything <laughs> because it's true. Oh, uh, have, have you heard that? Have you seen that online yet? Um, you know, I, it's not in the bottles. The most common one <laughs> I hear and, and that's okay. Um, it's not in the bottle, uh, slime, uh, honey from the gods. I like that one. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that, that is a good one. Honey from the gods. <laughs> but I put that shit on everything is, basically why i developed it i mean because it's it takes the place of refrigeration oil and when i was taught refrigeration i was told that the only thing you ever put on a gasket or thread is oil you don't use pipe dopes you don't use teflon tapes that's stuff plumbers use and 
Nylog is pretty much um, uh, an elastic form of refrigeration oil. And if it gets into the system, it's just going to blend right in with the oil. Uh, can't harm anything, can't clog anything. I see people where they say, well, hey, you know, I put Nylog and I think that's what caused my TXV to freeze up. Now, not not even remotely possible. Uh, but, uh, you know, you do commercial refrigeration work. Um, I used to do commercial refrigeration work. Leaky head gaskets, leaky manifold gaskets. You know, Nylog is is ideal for that. I mean, because you put it on those gaskets, if you ever have to come back and do a, a valve plate again, that, that gasket is going to peel right off, and there's no scraping, no, no sanding, no wire brushing. Um, you know, you, you've got a clean surface to work with. Uh, and, you know, I, people are finding uses for nylog that I never envisioned, like, uh, coating the ends of your hoses so you pull deeper vacuums. Uh, yeah, I never every, envisioned that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all we all do that now. And and you know what? There's there's another one that you might not have heard of. Um, one of the one of the the people I follow on Instagram, he follows me as well. He says he coats his um his fan shafts. He puts a little bit on his fan shaft when he's putting a new blade on, so it it goes on easier as a as a sure, lubric- as a lubricant. Lubricant or anti-seize. You know, I, we used to have an anti-seize. It was called Blackjack, and it was a Molly-based, really heavy, heavy gear type, uh, heavy bearing packing uh, oil, you know, a grease, really thick. And, you know, I tried to promote it as, hey, every time you change a motor, you should coat that shaft with some anti-seize. So the next guy that comes around isn't going to have a hard time pulling a blade or pulling a blower wheel or trying to get bearings off a shaft, uh, you know. And gosh, you know, I was really high on the product, but we barely sold like 10, 15 cases a year. And it was just one of those things that I thought the trade needed, but trade said, now, we'll just put them on dry. We don't need NACs. And, uh, you know, something we had to discontinue. But if I'm successful with uh, <clears throat> nylon, now I can, you know, it took nylon since 1993 to really catch on. And it didn't catch on until 2007, 2008. Yeah, and, and I think for, from my experience it's really blown up in the last couple of years too. Cause I see tons and tons just, just from operating on social media, the, the, the boom that, that Nylog's had, um, especially with the, 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 the slogan, I put that shit on everything and everybody, uh, tagging me and pictures using it and stuff like that. It's, it, I, I found it's really taken off in the last couple of years as well. Yeah. It's, it, it amazes me. It's just, it's just gasket and thread sealing. I mean, it's not exciting. It's, just shit you put on everything else, right? <laughs> yeah, but it it it's so it it helps avoid callbacks because you like I put it on service caps because traders traders leak like a sieve. You take your hose off, um, you're gonna you're not gonna ch- 
leak check every single Schrader when you take your hose off and make sure it's seating properly, especially when you're in a rush. You just put a little bit of nylog on your cap, tighten it down, and, and you're good. You don't need to worry about it. And I, and I do that with all my – any cap I take off, I put nylog on it 100% because it's just added insurance. And, and you use it on the valve core depressor too? Um, I, I, I don't I, – I haven't changed many valve core depressors in, in, in – recent future in the recent uh history but if i did pull one out i would yeah i just i just dab my finger in the nylog bottle and rub it around i, I would definitely do that yes yeah yeah <clears throat> you know that's something i i envision people doing but they're kind of leery because they look at the viscosity of that stuff and they go oh no it's going to plug the schrader it never plugs schrader never has but you know as the technicians become more comfortable with the product they'll see they'll see it it, it can be used on a schrader and, and one question that's asked a lot which we should just probably clarify is is red red is for mineral mineral oil based um systems and, and poe is for or sorry the blue is for the poe based systems right yeah well here here was here's here was our dilemma that when i first came out with nylog um 93, there were no POE systems out there. So I just made Nylog uh, uh, red because it had a red label. We didn't call it Nylog red. We just called it Nylog. And um, it was made for mineral oil because that was basically all that was out there. But as POE oil became more commonplace in 134A systems, especially in automotive um I came out with the um, Nylog Blue. All right, we lost connection there, but we're we're back. Sorry, guys. Um, John, you were saying about the blue, the blue Nylog. Yeah, blue Nylog is universal. You can use it for everything. And and at the time, though, um, back in the nineties, even year two thousand, people were afraid about mixing oils. You know, there was this. Uh, hocus pocus misinformation about well you know if you put poe on a mineral oil system it's gonna cause black death or green slime and you know none of that was true you can mix those oils pretty heavily together and nothing's going to happen to the system so but technicians didn't know that so we we had the two different versions mineral oil poe People didn't know the difference between mill and oil and POE. They didn't know, but they knew the difference between a CFC and an HCFC. So that's kind of how we labeled the bottles because, you know, uh, we couldn't go out there and individually uh, uh, educate every technician out there. So, you know, that's why we had two different versions and still continue to have two different versions to this day. Um, either one can be used they're interchangeable but that's the reason we have two different versions is because <clears throat> probably most of the techs that listen to this podcast know POE can mix with everything but I'd say 50-60% of the other technicians out there they don't know yeah yeah. So that, that's why I just tell people when people ask I just say just, just get the blue stuff because it'll it, you can use it on everything yeah, and I have people tell me, well, you know, we like the red better. Well, the red is stretchier and a little bit more elastic than the 
than the blue, and they like that. That's fine. You know, if you like the red, go ahead and use the red. So I got to ask, how do we get the oil? Like, you don't have to reveal all your secrets or anything, but how do we get the refrigerant oil into kind of that, that elastic um, property that, that Nylog is? How, how do we transform the oil? Well, uh, when I was doing research, I was actually, you know, in libraries because there was no internet really at the time um, to where I can Google and, and look up stuff. You know, I had to usually go to a university library or patent office to do my research, and I usually did that on the weekends. And I had Big Blue out, and I also had um, the first alkaline, high-foaming, non-acid coil cleaner out there. It was called Carbidex uh, that was starting to catch on. And I was looking at a way to remove oil from a surface and so I started researching that in um, all the libraries, and I got me into how uh, people that work oil fields eject chemicals into oil wells um, to get more oil production out of their wells. These are wells that are usually going dry, and the oil is trapped in rock and sand. And they drop chemicals in there that will um, relieve and help the oil recover and re-stimulate the well. They're called re-stimulation additives. And for some reason, I just got into this re-stimulation additives. And um, Nylog was really a result of a failed attempt by a company. Uh, called New York Life Oil and Gas, N-L-N-Y-L-O-G, NYLOG, New York Life Oil and Gas. And it was a failed attempt at recovering oil from a well using a concoction that they were putting down hole. And I, the chemistry was really, really bizarre. And so I got samples of the material they were using and started playing around with it. And, you know, you know, I could take a drop of it and stretch it six feet. It was really kind of just fun to play with. Didn't even know what I would eventually use it for, but it was just kind of amusing. And eventually I looked back at my old, you know, lessons in, in refrigeration and here it is, it's oil and that's the only thing you should put on a gasket or thread and uh, got the idea. I think this would make a good gasket and thread sealant because it's just oil. So, you know, that's how I did it. I just researched and I came upon, upon a, uh, a document that was basically thrown away, failed research. And that's it nuts. did me some good. Yeah. No kind of like the old, the, the story of the old post-it, the adhesive failed. It was not strong enough, but you know what? Someone found a good use for it as a post-it note. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and, and a lot of texts, like the, the, the old school, the old school texts are the worst, the, the ones that don't want to learn new stuff. Oh, I, you don't need any, you don't need, you don't need sealant on a, on a flare. I mean, as long as the flare is done right, you don't need to seal it. But 
in my experience, flares over time, um, expansion and contraction, and I've even seen uh, water get in into the back of a flare. And when the water freezes in the winter and that ice bulges out, it, it can create a leak too on it. So uh, the, the nylog just helps create that seal on, on the seat of the flare. Like I said in, in earlier, it's just added insurance. Like, And if it's not going to hurt a system, what's what's the big deal of, of the added insurance? You, you're just going to make yourself look like a better tech and company because that, that, you're avoiding callbacks that way, right? Exactly. You know... Um... Hey, you make a perfect flare, you torque it down really nice, you know, that flare is going to hold up. But over time, you're going to get temperature swing, expansion and contraction, vibration. That <laughs> flare is going to loosen up. Yep. Just ask any refrigeration guy that uh, works on walk-ins, freezers, walk-in coolers. I mean, they got a leak in the system. The first thing they're going to go for is that outlet on the TX feed. Oh yeah, because of vibration too. and the yeah, that's that's the, your number one spot to, to catch a leak right there. And you torque it down, and six months later, it's going to leak on you again. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 added the added insurance is is really really um, something that 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 I appreciate Nylog for because. I don't. I don't want to call back when I when I'm done a call. I mean that that's the worst. Well, once you get to a certain point of being a tech, even an apprentice, like apprentices don't like callbacks either, but it's more expected of them. But once you get to a certain point um, in your career, a callback is like it's like a stab in the heart for a te- for a, a technician that that um, holds himself up to a high standard, and, and most of us should. So anything to prevent a callback, and and the thing I always say is. It only takes five minutes to be a better tech, and and basically, five minutes is just—it's not really. You don't have to take it literally. I mean, it's just take take a few extra minutes. Make sure everything's back on right. Panels are on. Um, disconnect is on. All your wires are neat and tidy. And, and part of my five minutes is nylogging all the fittings I took off to put back on. Then when you're done and you walk away and you're driving home, you think back: Did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this? Yes. And that's the extra five Did minutes. You turn it- did you turn the unit back on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did everything but turn the disconnect on. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, yeah, everybody's you know, the, done that. Yeah, the, the callback, especially if you're, you're, you're in business for yourself, you know, working out of your home, like most technicians out there, you know, they're, they're, they're small operations. And a callback is money out of your pocket. We all know that. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's time. It's some, sometimes it's not even the money. It's, it's the time. Like uh, th- there's been times where I've gotten home from a job and, and there'll be a call right back to the same unit where I was. And I just spent an hour and a half getting home through traffic. Then I got to drive all the way back there. So the, the, the time is a big one too, because I mean, a lot of people, it, it depends on, on where they're at in their life. Sometimes money is more important. Sometimes time is more important. And, uh, you got to put that on the scale as well. Um, so if, if you have, like, it, can you hang out for another 10, 15 minutes or, or are you, you in a rush? I have no place to go. Okay. So no. <laughs> I'm sure you got, I'm sure you got a place to go <laughs> or do you sleep in the yeah, office? Well, no, I, you know, I, I, um, just, uh, our house is being termite, ex, you know, uh, fumigated. Oh, so, okay. Uh, we're staying with the kids. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun. 
but uh, you know, it's still early here on the West Coast. So yeah, you're only at like uh, what ten, ten, ten to ten to seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So we're good. So um, wet rag is is another unique, very unique um, product as well, and and I, and I've tested wet rag a bunch of different ways, like um, putting some putting a ball a wet wet rag putty around a pipe and a temp clamp on the one side, um, heating it up like with a torch just inches away. The temp clamp is inches away from from the uh, the wet rag. I've had a coworker hold onto it with his bare hand. Um, I've, I've done a, a wet rag soaked in water and then the Viper wet rag at temp clamps on either side. And, and every te test I've done shows how well it is at absorbing heat, um, from the torch. And that's what we want to do because we have a lot of sensitive devices out there like the TX valves and hot gas bypass reversing valves. So it, it's really, really good for that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, that all came about at uh, an Ashray trade show, actually. Um, uh, Mike was out, my son Mike was out looking at different uh, booths, and he came upon uh, a person doing a demonstration uh, with this putty and um, showing how it blocked the heat. Now, heat blocking compounds have been out there for a long, long time. I remember as a technician, you know, reversing valves, I used to use it all the time. I used to use the white crap, which I don't think worked at all. But, you know, it was the only stuff out there. And, and uh, you know, we started seeing this heat blocking putty out there. We started doing some research and found out, you know, there's a lot of this is pretty common in the welding industry. So we, we got a bunch of samples in and we tested all of them. And then, you know, we find out, we send everything off to a lab to get completely analyzed and, and we find out what everybody's using and then, you know, we pick them all apart and, and then we can put together our own version and that's how it all came about. And the problem with the putties that were out there, um, they weren't California Prop 65 compliant. Um, in other words, I don't know if you're familiar with Prop 65, but no, I'm not. Anything, well, it's every everything in the U.S. now is pretty much go to your wholesaler, look at anything that's brass, look at any chemical, look at uh, the labeling, and you'll see that a disclaimer that this product may contain product uh, chemical ingredients that are um, not liked by California prop 65 and could cause cancer. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've, I've, seen I've, I've seen those labels. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we put together a product that we knew that all the raw materials weren't going to throw up a cancer warning because if you got a chemical product and it's got a prop 65 ingredient in there, it's, you're going to have to put a warning label on there that it can cause cancer. And who wants that on their products? We sure don't. Yeah, exactly. But you know, so, so we put together a, a, a nice putty compound that was, was free and clear of all that. And so that's how we came out with it. And 
I really didn't give it a chance of succeeding because our competition was the mighty wet rag, which is easy. You wet a rag, you wrap it around a valve, and, you know, what could be simpler and most cows defensive. But uh, we tested against a wet rag, and we found that the putty was actually did a better job yep, of me, blocking the heat. Me, me too. Yeah. Me too. And you know what I find so, with, with a soaked rag is that. I sp- and, I, and I've done a lot of uh, brazing up in ceilings and stuff like that. And just because all we, we, we've done some heat pump work and these heat pumps are up in ceilings in office buildings, you, you wrap everything up with a rag, you're, you're balancing on a ladder and then you start to, to braze and all the water from the rag just starts steaming up in, in your face. And, yeah. and it's, it's actually blow. Sometimes if, if, if the flame is low enough because you're trying to be careful because you got wires in there everywhere and it's a, just a tight spot. You don't want to burn the insulation in the, in the unit. Um, the steam would actually blow the torch out. And I, I don't find that. Exactly. Happen. I don't find that happens with, with the, with the putty. I mean, you can see a little bit, but not nearly as much as like the, the water soaked rag with that steam rising. Yeah. That wet rag, uh, uh, the actual wet rag, uh, that, uh, you know, it's water, it's going to boil it, uh, 200 and, 13 Fahrenheit, 100 Celsius, and it's it's going to boil. And with the putty, we're working with a high-temperature ceramic material that's going to boil at 2,500 degrees. So, big difference, yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, that, that blue color that it's got, is that, is that like a natural color to it, or do you, do you guys make it that color on purpose? It's a um, thermal dye. Okay. It will change if it changes colors and goes kind of uh, whitish. Okay. Uh, that's time to re- that's time to replace it. Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a uh, uh, you can get dyes to tell you how pH changes. Uh, you can get dyes if you have those sunglasses that. When the sun's really bright, the glass darkens up. Uh, that's actually a dye. It's called a photochrome. And when it senses too much light, it darkens up. There's all these different dyes that do different tricks. And the one we use is a thermal, is a thermal uh, dye. And uh, once it, that putty's exceeded its lifetime, that blue coloration will be gone. And it's time to get a new batch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I use it um, for filter dryers. A lot of people don't think that they should protect a filter dryer, and, and I don't think that the heat is going to damage the actual internals of the dryer. What what I use it for is to protect the paint on the dryer, especially if it's an outdoor dryer. Um, one, it makes it more professional because when you're done, you don't have like scorch marks on the dryer, um, and two. If that paint bubbles just a touch as you're brazing it, um, that bubbled up paint will start to chip away over time, and that's you're going to expose the underbelly of that dryer, and and it, and it can corrode and, and leak faster. Yeah, yeah. That well, you know, it's one of the first things I thought of is you know you can protect dryers and keep the paint from flaking off from the heat, and so you're when you're done with the job. It's a clean job. It doesn't look like a, a hack was there soldering. Oh, it, it looks so. Doing. It yeah. looks. It looks so nice yeah. afterwards. It, it, it looks really yeah. nice. And 
And uh, some of the dryers have the long stubs on them. And and I know some guys, oh, I can braise a dryer without torching the paint. And then they show me the dryer they're 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 <laughs> they're they're brazing and it's like a three-eighths dryer with a long stub on it. Well, <laughs> No wonder, but a lot of the dryers the, the, they have shorter stubs, and especially if you're you're brazing in like a, a like a seven eighths dryer, you're gonna you have to really heat that that fitting up, and that short stub is it's closer to the the core, like the paint, so that that's 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 where I protect them for a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I I it was the first thing that came in my mind. This this is gonna protect dryers to paint from coming off and. As, you know, as well as, you know, other more critical components that you have to solder in. When I was an apprentice, there was, uh, I know two or three apprentices that actually went out and bought their own TX valves after, <laughs> after torching them, torching the hell out of them because they couldn't braze them in. Um, if they had wet rag back in the day, it might've been a different story for sure, because <laughs> they didn't want, and the reason they used their own money is because they didn't want anybody to know that they torched it. So they'd go out to the supplier, buy another one with their own money and then go back and, and redo it. But, uh, <laughs> I guess everybody goes through those learning curves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's just, you know, no one carries a paint can on their truck to do the touch-ups <laughs> no no they don't but very successful product for us i i didn't give it much of a chance because of the competition the wet actual red rag i mean but um it has proven itself to be worth all the time and effort that we put into researching and formulating our own product and and uh, getting it to market it yeah. Was, uh, yeah and if you're in the middle if you're in the middle of a big roof trying to find water like oh now i gotta go find water um and get rags and come back and so having a little tub in a little uh in your brazen kit or whatever i mean wonders works wonders 100 percent. yeah just some tactics out there if it gets a little dry um just put a little water on your hand and then start molding it molding that putty if it gets a little dry just takes a little bit of water just wet your hand a little bit and then work it till it gets a consistency like Play-Doh. And that'll extend the life of your putty. Also, when you're packing it, let's say around like a TXV or something, you want to pack it really tight. You want to squeeze out all the air bubbles uh, so that putty lays right up against the valve without any air bubbles in there. And it's going to work its best and, and provide you the best heat blocking. Just a little tech tip. Awesome. And and uh, I think it was, uh, I think Mike, I think it was Mike that was responding to somebody online about how somebody was saying it, it froze in their truck from extreme uh, outdoor temperatures. And, and he's saying to just shove it in the microwave for 30 seconds. Is, is, that, a, is that a valid tip as well? Yeah, but I mean, who, you carry a microwave on your truck. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I guess if you're, in, if if you're going into a building or or whatever, and and you need to use it, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, we live here in California. We don't have that problem. We don't care. <laughs> you guys figure it out. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know, most guys out there, they know if their leak detector gets frozen, they just put it under their heater, yeah, in their fan and that, thaw it out. That, I mean, that, that's true. You can put it under the dash of your your, your defrost. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and you know a lot of people in in the cold climate areas you know they they know how to work around stuff freezing so yeah yeah i i <laughs> that's where we are where we uh we get the best of both worlds actually just because it's, it's super cold in the winter and then we get very very humid and hot summers because the humidity comes from the great lakes because we're surrounded in toronto we're, we're we got the Great Lakes all all around us, so that's where yeah, all that's all our humidity. humidity comes from. And there's nothing worse than humidity. Oh, to, it's, uh, it's the worst. It's make the worst. your air conditioner work harder. Yeah, and <laughs> leave those nice uh, armpit stains while you're on the roof. Then <laughs> <laughs> you got to go talk to the customer after. Cool. All right. It's, it's been a, it's, you know what? I, I learned a lot from that podcast, some stuff I didn't know about your products and, and uh, I've really enjoyed using them over the last um, while. Like I've been using Nylog, somebody, a senior tech that I worked with introduced me to Nylog, geez, over 10 years ago. So I've experimented with all of them and I don't want to mention their names, but I've experimented with all of them and, and nothing beats Nylog, nothing, hands down. It, it's the best one. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I, I had high hope for it when it first when I first put it out there. And I will tell you a little story. I tried to get Copeland to prove it because um, that would have been a big boost for the product. And, you know, and Copeland comes back and tells me, well, you know, we don't have no criteria or standard for approving a gasket thread seal, and we don't care, just use oil. And I said, well, you know, that's basically what it is. I, I'd like to get a Copeland OEM approval on this. And, you know, the first thing they told me, that I had already done all the compatibility and miscibility testing done, and we tested it against all the different refrigerators, all the different oils and different combinations and whatever. You know, we passed those tests with flying colors, and I told Copeland about that. They said, well, we're going to probably want to do our own testing. And that the most critical one is we're going to want to do a compressor life testing. And we do that before we approve any products. And I said, well, go great. Let's do a compressor life testing. And let's get this product OEM approved. And they said, well, John, it's going to cost you about 100 grand to get this testing done. Well, I didn't have 100 grand. And the caveat to that was, even if it passed compressor life testing, they have no obligation to approve it. They can say, yeah, it passed. Here, here's your certificate. But, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to approve it, give you an OEM approval. Yeah. But it was just a basically a way of me giving them 100 grand, passing the test, and then, um, you know, not getting that letter saying it's OEM approved. Well, you know, here we go. Ten years later, Emerson Copeland is purchasing nylon and using it. So <laughs> I didn't have to spend the hundred grand after all. There but I go. still don't have the little piece of paper that says that's okay. You know, you, you, you have all the all the techs, all the good techs out there validating it every day for you. So yeah, but now we're getting OEMs um, coming back and and uh, approving it. We just got a approval from Greer. We got one from Sporland. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of little manufacturers out there uh, that uh, approve Nylog and, and use it in their assembly of uh, refrigeration and air conditioning. 
Yes. Oh, awesome. That, that, so, that, that's really yeah. good to know. That's good to know. Good for you guys. Yeah. Cool. Taking a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's been okay. a long while. Uh, that's okay. Success sometimes, uh, like like we said in the beginning, um, patience. Patience is key, right? So. It's patience, exactly. And education. It was all about YouTube when 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 when. Uh, Technicians out there uh, doing YouTube's were starting to use dialogue, um, and you know, the inquisitive minds wanted to know more. And I think that's what gave Nylog the big bump was all the guys out in the field, good technicians out there doing those YouTube videos and showing what they use Nylog for and why they use it. You know, it was it was uh, it was incredible. It was, yeah. Something I couldn't believe. No, it really, it really is. I believe it's probably, it's got to be the most unique product out there, as far as helping, helping the industry, like refrigeration technicians, technicians on a daily basis. I don't think there's any other product as unique as Nylog, just because it's it is oil based and you you follow the rule, refrigerate refrigerant and oil, and 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 that's why it's so successful. Yeah, uh, you know, that's basically the philosophy of this company is, you know, we want to produce good, high-quality truck stock. Things for your truck you keep on and use every day. Make it as high as possible in quality. Make it the best out there that it can be. And, uh, you know, the world will be the path to you. And, uh, you know, we've lived by that philosophy. Uh, I know people out there that want me to go down the snake oil trail, but I won't go there. I just want to stay with the legitimate products that uh, uh, mechanics uh, will see after the first time they use it that, you know, this is the product I want to keep on using. And uh, so far we've been uh, very successful at that. Now we've done it. We've been at it for over 31 years now. And I, Give all my kudos to all those service techs out there that um, discovered our products and started talking to other techs about it. And through YouTube, through chats, through forums, et cetera, it's all helped. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you very much. It has. And yeah, and on behalf of every all the techs out there that use your products, thank you 100%. Bubble surface tension, thermal dye, um, nylog came from failed research. This is crazy stuff. This is all stuff that that um, I learned while you learned too. So I think it's kind of awesome that the thermal dye changes color to the whitish, as John was saying, when when it's no longer good to use anymore. You kind of got rid of that. You got to get rid of that white section of the uh the viper wet rag and it's it's very cool with the the surface tension of the bubble and how there's a high range and a low range and you got to hit the sweet spot i didn't know that kind of stuff and i'm sure you guys didn't either there's there's science and there's work that goes into this stuff and it's cool to get the stories and it's cool to talk to the people behind these stories there's work that's put in john is an hvac tech so he's experienced the problems we experience in the field and all his products are developed to help us. 
I mean, there's the products we talked about, but there's like coil coating, which coats coils um, and protects them from the elements. There is Viper Coil Cleaner and the Red Aerosol Can. Love that stuff. There's Evap Plus to clean evaporator coils. Another great product. The list goes on and on and on. So you guys got to check the stuff out. You guys got to check out John's leak detection manual that he was speaking about as well. Refrigetech.com is where you're going to go to check out the website and find all that good information. So John, thank you for getting onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. I've been waiting a long time to speak to you and I've been anticipating and eager to get on the mic with you. And I'm glad we dropped the hammer on that interview because it was awesome. I learned a lot and the audience is going to learn along with me when they listen. So thanks, John. So guys, stay safe. I'm out. Happy HVACing.